The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. And good afternoon. Actually, Vina is not here today. She's teaching uh, and on the road. And this is Jim Shapiro filling in for Vina. Uh, I'm uh, often her fill-in. I always enjoy doing the show. And today I've got a great guest. Uh, Bradley Sides is joining us today. And um, Bradley is a veteran real estate investor, mentor, and he's created a system that focuses on understanding your market that the market to be successful in real estate is understanding where's the right part of the market to be in and what to do in that market. Uh, Brad invests in uh, projects from single-family homes to larger land developments. He started a few years ago with no money, bad credit, and no experience. And he started learning real estate, and in 13 months he took control of over a million and a half in real estate, uh, creating uh, 256000 in equity and a $5,500 a month cash flow. So Brad's learned how to do some things, and he's going to talk to us today. Brad, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, uh, Brad. Good to, good to hear you there, Jim. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. So let me start with, you know, what do you think is the missing link in today's real estate business market? Well, when I, when I first started back in 2001, and I, I got the, the 24 houses that first year, I was in the wrong area of the city, which I had been taught the actual place to go. I, I was taught what to do with that real estate once I got there. But, you know, when you really get to looking at real estate, the, the missing link that I see right now is so many people teach methods. They teach wholesale. They teach foreclosure, lease option, rehab. But what they don't teach is they don't teach the market. So they're teaching mainly the techniques, but they don't teach the territory. So once I saw that missing link, uh, I literally said, you know what, I'm going to solve an issue here that I see across the United States. I've mentored in about 179 cities uh, over the course of about a three or four year period and just wasn't getting the results, Jim, that I, that I thought that I should be getting. So I came back to the drawing board, uh, took my market, started breaking it down and realizing that you can know every little detail of what's going on in a market and uh, just created that product that would take and show you how to break it down. Uh, so you could not actually just go after deals, but once you know the parameters, you could have deals coming after you. So uh, worked worked you know the last five years on this, and we're perfecting it, and just got off the a road here just a while ago, uh, and had an investor out today. We just looked at six. We're putting an offer on one right now uh, because you know you, you're able to identify it when you know what's going on. So to answer your question, the missing link I think is people don't know where to go and don't know where to stay away from. And uh, what we've done is solve that problem. So, tell us how you solved solve that problem. 
What, what's well, your approach to that? Here's what happens. I tell people, Jim, all this all the time. I said, look, you can't play checkers without a checkerboard. Now, what I what I mean by that? Well, if you've ever tried to play literally checkers without a checkerboard, you know that unless you have those boxes and those lines to jump from one spot to the other, the game is ineffective. What's the same way today uh, in real estate investing? If you know every square area of your mile of, of your market, every square mile of your market, and that can be done in various ways. So. You know, what I usually tell someone is, you know, what I would do is I would break every elementary school down. Don't go to middle schools and high schools. Go to elementary where you can literally see kind of what's going on, uh, what the school rates are and so on. You can break it down in zip codes. I think that's too big. You can break and segment your uh, market down in what we call subdivisions or, you know, areas such as that. But here's what I would say. The more fine-tuned of an area that you can take and monitor to know exactly what's going on, the better off you're going to be. And I see so many investors that will drive out of their, their driveway and not know where to turn left or turn right. And uh, with a map on the wall and the ability to color code that map, like I teach, you know where the good areas are, you know where the questionable areas are, you know where the areas that you don't need to do anything but wholesale in. And it really allows you the ability, Jim, to be able to what I call proactively go after real estate in the right area, but also reactively if somebody calls on an ad, then you're going to be able to take, see where they live, see exactly what their price point is, and you're going to know all the details about that market to be able to make the right decision. So before I ask you some more questions about those market segments, I, I think I've got a quote here where you talk about it's important to not just work a market, but it's important to let that market find us. And I'm not yes. sure I understand what you mean by that. Okay. So here's the cool thing about real estate investing. When you identify, like in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from, and most people probably hear that I do have an accent. I'm from East Texas. But I live in Tulsa, and when you do what we've done in our market where every square mile is broken down, I I know the price point moving average, whether it's a one-story or two-story, because we know a lot of markets that's different. I know the size of the houses. I know the veteran counts of the houses that are in there, the average. I know the, the price per foot, which is so important, and I know the days on market. When I know those four or five parameters of every little square area, whether it's a small subdivision, whether it's every square mile, then I can set parameters in there to have those deals come to me uh, when they either come on the MLS or to recognize those deals when you're marketing off of the MLS. So understanding what's going on allows you to recognize and then when you recognize you're able to calculate the right number and you're able to take and move forward but those parameters can be set where deals can literally come to you instead of you just going after them okay so tell me a little more about and i understand you've created a program and we're on we're on public radio so we can't talk much about your program but what does it do uh, to segment markets, and, and what does that really mean, and how do you, what sort of things does it break it down by? Okay, so let me just give you an example. Yesterday I got up and I took the MLS, which a lot of people say you can't make money off the MLS, MLS really doesn't matter. That's probably, I would say, uh, the one misconception in America today because the key thing that I found out and in, in probably interviewing interviewing 60 or 70 appraisers across the United States from the East Coast, West Coast, North to South is they all use the MLS to calculate that final appraisal. So whatever they're using, we need to use. So in the process of this, what I did was I took an active and a sold list on the MLS, 
and I literally created a hands-on algorithm where I was going into a market and I would spend maybe eight hours a day with this algorithm pinpointing certain houses that had equity. And finally, I met a, a friend of mine in the St. Louis market who partnered up with me, and we created a software product. So what happens is now we load those active and sold up, and it literally spits out those properties that have equity based on what we are setting the equity at. It'll recognize, okay, here's a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car. Well, there's another one right here that is uh, the same, pretty pretty close to the same year bill, pretty close to the same square footage. Bam, it's $40,000 less than this one, and it identifies that. So that's one thing it does. Another thing is it geocodes all the real estate, so it will show you color code all of the active, color code all of the sold. But then it goes further than that. It will color code them based on their price. Uh, it'll color code them where we have five different colors for price, five different colors for price per foot, five different colors for uh, days on market. So I can load them all up like I did at 430 this morning to find these six or eight, and I can go in there and say, okay, based on this, uh, the black color one right here, it's been on the market the longest. I need to pursue that to see what's going on. I can click over and say, okay, price per foot. Okay, well, the red one here is the one that is the cheapest price per foot. So it literally, Jim is saving so much time, and you, you're able to identify potential deals. I, I loaded up about 1,500 houses in this uh, system this morning and found 12. We narrowed it down to six, narrowed that down to three, and we're uh, putting offers on two of them here this evening. Sounds like you've been busy. All right, let me. Uh, we have to take Very a busy, quick yeah. break. Uh, before we take this break, let me uh, remind callers or listeners, uh, we're happy to take calls. Uh, you can call in to ask Brad questions at 513-772-9658 or uh, toll-free at 1-877-772-9658. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am Jim Shapiro, filling in for Vina. Uh my guest today is Bradley Sides. Brad will be speaking. He's one of the 15 featured speakers at the 2016 Ohio Real Estate Investor Association National Real Estate Summit. The New Strategy Summit is being called this year. Uh, that event is uh, November 3rd through the 6th at the Great Wolf Lodge here in Cincinnati in Mason, Ohio. Uh, Brad is going to be one of our speakers, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing him speak. Uh, you can find more information about OREA's convention at wmkvfm.org, the radio station's website. And I'll also give a little note. Today was their fun drive, and if you want to, uh, we love to see people support WMKV. Uh, Brad, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Okay. So how does knowing a neighborhood at the level of detail you're talking about, what is that what does that allow the investor to do more successfully? What what mistakes does it help them avoid? What benefits does it offer them to really understand the their, their markets in that kind of depth? Well, the key that I see today, uh, you know, as far as mistakes that a lot of people make is, number one, they don't think real estate has a certain rhyme or reason to it. And so, you know, I'll get on an airplane. I travel about 125 planes a year. And Everybody asked me, what, what do you do for a living? I said, a real estate investor, instructor, trainer, mentor. And they said, well, said so you rent out houses. See, everybody thinks that renting out houses, buying a house, fixing it up and renting out is, is you know, that or, or, or flipping it like all of the, the TV shows that you see. 
is all there is to real estate. But what people need to understand out there is there's so many other strategies. And so knowing your market allows you the ability, you know, to basically say, okay, not just is this a deal, but guess what? It's going to be at a different deal at different levels of equity that you have. I mean, most people probably here know that equity is the difference between what you pay for a house and what it's worth. So the more equity you have, the more opportunity you have. So as you're realizing and recognizing what's going on in your market, uh, two things that I want to you know, always look at is days on market. I think the number one thing in all of real estate that will determine what a market is doing is your days on market. I've been in San Diego where uh, average days on market in 2003 were, were four hours, literally four hours. And I've been in places like Ohio when the market tanked where it was an average of 12 months. So when you get to looking at it, you know, once you know your market, then you're, po- you're, you're literally picking what I call – pocket profit point areas, those areas that will profit the most based on which ones are moving the fastest. Another thing you have to know, Jim, is this, what price point's moving? I mean, we know that real estate is driven by price point, and price point's driven by what somebody can afford based on their their annual incomes and also the interest rates that we have today where they can buy more if the interest rates are low. So knowing those parameters is so important. The days on market really come into play when you know where they're moving in the market, where you're, where you're certain segments and where they're not, because if you're sitting here and you're going to take and try to hold a house on a retail and the days on market are extensive, your carrying cost, the, carry, the, the amount of money it's going to take to get it to the finish line is going to eat your profit up. So you may want to change your exit strategy there and lease it out with an option to buy. I've got an investor today that, that I, I called and said, look, I've got a house that, that we can probably look at next Wednesday. You can get it for 93000 uh, it's got an ARV of 150. It's going to take about 30 grand. That's not enough spread if you're going to sell it on the open market. But you know what you could do? You could lease it out for 12 months with an option to buy. You can make 20 grand on the back end. You can make 1,200 a month for 12 months. I've already checked the rent rates, which is another parameter that you want to know. And we figured it up, and she'd make about 23% return on her money, uh, and she got excited. So. Knowing your parameters and knowing what's going on, I mean, it's like fishing, Jim. If, if, I, if I went out in a lake right now and took, took someone fishing and I was a guide in that lake, you know, the first thing I'd say is, where do you want to go fish? Well, if you don't know where the fish are, are being caught or where they're biting or where there's any fish at all, then bottom line is, you know, why waste your gas going that direction? So you, you've got to have tools to be able to find those fish. You've got to have the best fish finder out there, and you got to know what to do with it based on what you actually catch. So... Every investor is different, but when it's all said and done, Jim, you got to know your market. I don't care if you're doing probate, buying houses at the auction, uh, downtown, or whatever the case may be. When it's all said and done, you're going to do some calculations. You're going to do some numbers. And when it's when, when, when the, end, the end result is, what can I afford to pay for this house and profit? And if I can't profit at this position, do I need to change my exit strategy? So you see, Jim, how all that is tied together, and I saw that and said, you know what, we're going to create a one-stop shop of knowing uh, what's going on in the market anywhere in the United States. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned a couple of key, uh, we called pocket profit points, days on market, the price point. Uh, how do you look at issues of uh, rentals versus resale? Where's the good neighborhoods for one versus the other, and, and how to approach that? Do you have any uh, profit Pocket profit points for those those questions. <laughs> well, I'm proud you asked that because here's what what everybody has to understand: if houses are not moving very fast, in other words, if they're 
being rehabbed and not moving very fast, we know that that's not a good thing. So those particular areas are perfect areas for you to hold in if you have the ability, A, to cash flow, and B, to get some appreciation along the way. Now, there's some markets across the United States that don't have a lot of appreciation. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I've been investing here since 2001, and we we literally hardly ever go up and we hardly ever go down. So what I teach is I teach what I call triangle thinking, and I say, okay, triangularly in three aspects, every real estate deal has these three things. They've got a parameter about them, they've got a performance level, and they also have the ability to profit. And so what you have to do is you have to take and really treat this as a business say, okay, every time I look at a deal, like today we looked at six, every time we walked in that house said, okay, what is going to be best for this if we get it at this price? What's going to be best here? But then you mentioned something else about rental. You know, a rental is not going to be a, a good strategy if you can't cash flow. And uh, we know that's the difference between what you got going out and what you got coming in. So, you know, you, you got to know what those rent rates are for each bedroom count. I've got that all mapped out in those segmented areas. And those areas where you have price points that are at a certain level, say $100,000, but yet you got a $1,200 a month rent area, that right there makes perfect sense. But if you're sitting at a $220,000 house and you can only rent them for $1,700, then you're probably going to break even. And if you don't have any appreciation, then you're not going to make a bunch of money because, you know, me, I teach a two-thirds rule. I think the three key things you look for in any market in the deal is, is it going to cash flow if you hold it? Does it have equity, difference to what you pay for it and what it's worth, and will it appreciate? And I always teach everybody, you must have two out of those three if you want to make money. Uh, I can't get all three here because we don't have a lot of appreciation, but I always have equity, Jim, and I always have cash flow in my market. I have no choice because of what the market makeup is. So uh, what what is the most you – know, the MLS, the most ballistic service, can play a role helping – investors what do you think's the the most overlooked avenue use of the mls in in helping to build a successful business you're talking about as far as mls what it the, the importance of it is that what you're asking well how do you use the mls to to find the, the kinds of properties and and to understand okay. the markets the way you're working to understand them okay well number one you'll see that most every statistic <laughs> given in every major magazine, they always go to the National Association of Realtors, which is the head office out of Chicago. So, number one, we know it is the largest data pool of real estate out there. We've got Redfin and other places like that that are out there, but I'm talking the MLS across the United States uh, with 1.2 million realtors, okay? So, number one, it's a big, huge database. Number two, most people are going to go there a high percentage and list their house, which means we have data, but we also have numbers. We have the data we can get off the sales, you know, which ones are moving, which ones are not moving. So what I love about that is I'm able to average out everything with what I created. I can tell you all the averages of every detail, whether it's the school score, whether it's it's the uh, elementary school district, uh, whether it is uh, you moving in a direction to where – you want to know, you know, how fast they're moving, what the price point average is, what the average medium price point is. It literally wants you throw everything in there off of the MLS since it has more data than any of them. It literally spits it out. I will say this, though. The number one reason I use MLS, it's the easiest, okay? Number two, people say you can't use it to find deals, which I do all the time, and it, and it cuts down on competition, 
But number three, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Your appraiser is always going to go and use the MLS to determine what the value of your house is going to be once you fix it up and what I call bring it up to the highest of the neighborhood standard. And once they appraise it, you must have a number that matches theirs or be very close to it, or you're going to be in a position to where you're going to end up breaking even or even losing money. All right. That makes sense. So uh, are you a realtor? Yes, I am. I'm okay. a broker. I, broker. I wasn't for the first six years, and the reason I did is because those uh, realtors that were helping me started doing what I was doing, saying that I was making more money than them, so they quit sending me deals. So I am in a city and also in a state where it does not affect me at all to have my license. In fact, I, you know, I literally do things different than a lot of people because I feel like what I call victory verbiage is something that I really have in my program uh, is so important how you talk to people. So, you know, one of the biggest things you'll hear people say about having your license is, well, you can't have your license because you have to disclose. And so my, my first uh, thing would be to them is, what are you trying to hide? I mean, bottom line is there are two key ways that I always make people comfortable working with me because I have my license. Number one, I am more educated on laws of my state and also real estate in a whole as the average person that's out there, average investor. Number two, uh, I'm in a position to where I have the board of real, Oklahoma Board of Realtors breathing down my neck to make sure that I'm held accountable. So I would tell anybody on here, you don't go around and get your license. You know, A lot of you are brand new. Get out there and start doing real estate. Uh, you may in the future want to get your license. But I, I teach in my program how to qualify a realtor. And uh, I've never had a realtor not want to work with me. I've got some victory verbiage, you know, the, the verbiage that you say when you go in and sit down with them. Uh, I love cold turkey meetings where I walk into a city where I've never been and I qualify the banker and I qualify the realtor for, for an investor because, you know, they really want to work with us when they see what we do. We save them time. Uh, they're not showing us a bunch of houses. You saw what I mentioned earlier. I had, I had over 1,000 that I loaded up, but I only showed this individual – six when it was all said and done interiors we did drive-bys on six others but if i would have been an outside agent that he was using i would really be excited because he did not waste my time and that's what we want is we want investors that have good relationships with realtors don't go get your license if you unless you just want to but just know that it is a benefit someday it's not what a lot of people say unless you have laws in your state that says you can't do certain things I'll just, we're time for another break, but I'll add a comment to that. I have my license, you know, Vena Jones-Cox is a broker. Uh, we're able to do a lot of a lot of things in our business, and, and I see having a license is, is more positive than negative. I also I hear agree. people say, oh, you, you have to disclose. Well, my attitude is I want to disclose everything I can because yeah, exactly. if, if I'm fully disclosed, I can't get in trouble. No one can turn around and, You're exactly right. and come after me. I totally agree. And, and the other thing is, when I say I have my license, and I tell people it gives me, it gives them uh, some guarantee that I've got to follow some higher level of rules of integrity and ethics, yeah, exactly. and and I can be, you know, complaints can be filed against agents. So in effect, we are hold, held to a higher standard, and that's good for the people we do business with. Well, it's exactly. time for a quick break. Uh, let me take a quick second here and say, uh, callers, we welcome your call. Or listeners, we welcome your calls, questions. Uh, call them into 513-772-9658. 
or 877-772-9658. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Jim Shapiro here today, filling in for Vena Jones-Cox, who I understand is in Dayton, beautiful Dayton. Uh, Brad uh, Brad Sides is our guest today, talking about his uh, approach to understanding real estate markets and the different segments within a market. Uh, Brad, what, what would you say is your favorite kind of deal in the current market? You know, I've always loved rehabbing. I, I just, you know, I've got one I just finished to put on the market, but I like to get creative. And, you know, here's what I can tell people today. There's less inventory today than there's ever been since I've been investing since 2001. And so my my whole point is if you can't find a deal, then you learn to create one. And so I love to get creative. Uh, I just added 300 square feet to a property uh, that literally, you know, add an extra thirty grand because it's hundred dollars a foot. Cost me sixty five hundred dollars to do it. Uh, I travel across the United States where it's a lot more per foot and it's a lot better and a lot easier to do it there. Uh, I go to places where there's a lot of non permitted houses. So uh, these are houses that they didn't go to the city to get the permit, but they did an add on, and you literally can get those permitted and make a lot of money. I like to go to places where you can go up, add a floor. Uh, I like, you know, scrapes where we go into areas and we're able to identify through our system where those areas are that they're scraping houses and building new houses in older subdivisions, you know, a lot of times historic areas. So, you know, after you've invested a while, Jim, and you know this because you've been doing this a while, and after you've rehabbed, you know, 800 houses, you get to a point to where you kind of get bored with certain things, and so you want to kind of get creative and look for those things uh, as you, you know, I explain it like this, you know, the longer you fish in your market, uh, the, the the more your test line is going to be effective to you. And, you know, you sit here and you watch all these people catching fish that are, you know, 200-pound fish on a 50-pound test line. You wonder how they did that because they're experienced. So more experience you have, your test line, you know, will do more for you in your market. So, you know, it's a combination. I've got one I'm about to wholesale, make five grand, won't have to do anything to it. Uh, I'm very busy. So I try to do everything, which I have people doing things for me. You delegate. You learn to do that. So really, it's a lot of things. You know, I I love lease options. I love to lease a house out with an option to buy. I let somebody test drive the house, and I can make a lot more money because I don't have to pay a realtor to sell it. Uh, that's another strategy that I love. But, you know, I've developed land. I've done a lot of things. It's just uh, it really comes back to the rehabbing. And I tell a lot of people, you know, uh, if you don't know how to rehab, it'll send you into rehab. you you got to know what you're doing. And the key two numbers is what is the after repair value of that property and how much is it going to take to get it there. You get the, the, them two numbers right, uh, you'll do well. And I think rehabbing is very popular because of all the uh, shows on HDTV, which are kind of neat to watch. I love before and after pictures. Uh, I love to take before and after pictures. And I like to just see what I can do with it and how, how well we can make it look. All right. Well, that sounds good. By the way, let me uh, interject here a quick note. I got a message from Vina. Anyone in the Dayton area, tonight is the Dayton RIA meeting, and you are welcome to uh, attend. Uh, you can see it at uh, trainwithvina.com at the website trainwithvina.com. You can get information. Uh, she'll be uh, leading the meeting tonight in, uh, at Dayton RIA. Uh, that's why she's not here today, so she's up in Dayton. So, Brad, how do you see the market changing in the next one, two, three years? 
That's a good question, Jim. I get that question probably asked more than anything. You know, I, I was here rolling in 2001. Uh, I put a subdivision in in 2007, 43-acre subdivision with 103 lots and got caught right in the middle of a lot of the things that went south on us. You know, I tell a lot of people, Jim, you know, you don't want to go to the front lines with somebody that's not been shot at. That literally means you need to be running with people that have scars on their knees and elbows. And I can tell you, the reason uh, things that I do are so successful, whether it's my program or whatever, is I don't just talk about the good. I talk about the bad and the ugly also. So I've seen it and what it did, but you have to understand the reason it went the way it did is because of the mortgages. We all know that. And a lot of people are new on here that are just getting into real estate and they didn't realize that they were you know, letting anybody that wanted to get a house get a house. And that backfired, and we had an excessive amount of foreclosures. So your question, where are we going? I think what's going to happen is foreclosures will start going up because people are overextending themselves also today by still playing our market as if it's a stock market. And, you know, I feel like stocks will eventually go down, and when they do, people are going to take and jump into real estate. But, you know, here's the thing. It, it reminds me – uh, of a couple that I trained back in 2003, a, a dentist and his wife, who when I told them, I asked them in San Diego when I was there in 2003, I said, what did you pay for your house? And they said, 329 I said, how long do you own it? And they said, 13 months. I said, what's it worth now? And they said, 790 And the first thing I said to them, Jim, was, you need to sell your house. And they literally got upset at me. They said, you have to understand something. This is never going to end. See, that's the misconception. It will always end, and it will be 10-year cycles per se, which literally, when you get to looking at it, probably puts us somewhere around 2018 when you're going to see it start turning. Maybe not excessive foreclosures like before, but people will get to a point where they can't make their payment. And if interest rates start going up, which we know they eventually will, then uh, some of them are going to realize that if they're not locked in and uh, they have to get locked in, their payment's going to go up and it's going to put them in the same position they were in 2005 and six. So I think we're stable for a while. Uh, I think there's a lot of building going on, of course, which is the number one thing you look at when you go to market. I mean, housing permits they are. But in, in the end, we will get to a point where we're going to outprice ourselves, and I'm just saying we're going to get to where people can't make the payments, and you're going to start seeing foreclosures go back up. And here's another thing, Jim, you understand as well as I do. When people start selling houses and really start selling thinking that the market is stopping, it is, you know, a tidal wave, and at that point, you know, you start getting days on market going up, and, and you get to where there's no bidding wars, and people start dropping prices. I was in Denver, which is one of the two top markets in the United States outside of Seattle. I was there about three weeks ago, and she told me after three years, she's finally starting to see prices starting to decrease a little bit in some areas. So it's going to happen. We all know it can only top out uh, at, at a certain point, but I think the answer to your question is, we are going to eventually see people not be able to make their payments. And, uh, you know, a lot of economies are affected. I mean, we've had over 18,000 job losses in Oklahoma City due to oil. So there's a lot of things you can't control that puts people in positions where they can't make payments. And uh, people get burned. They don't get enough education, and they get out there and try to do it on their own. Uh, that puts more, more volume out there. So I think you'll see volume go up. I think you'll see price points go down. And uh, I don't know what at the exact time, but I think probably by 2018. All right. Well, that's a. I think we're, the one thing I say to people that the market's going to continue to change is always changing, and thinking about 
like you are. What what's it going to look like in two or three years, and how does that affect my strategies now? So exactly. let me go back to your discussion about segmentation. You know, we talked about the MLS and people finding deals through MLS and understanding uh, the market segmentation, helping them. What about for the the investors that work with direct mail and non MLS sources? Now they're they're out marketing okay. with their signs and 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 mailings. How does the market segmentation help those investors? It's going to be the it's going to it's a good question. It's going to be the same thing because here's here's the thing. The point of impact or point of contact or the point that you make a decision is still boils down to numbers. So if I'm sitting here running an ad, I buy houses, cash returns, and let's say Jim, you call me up and you say, hey, I've got a house here that I want to sell, and the first thing I'm going to do is say, tell me where you're located. Well, I create a mapping system, and I teach people to do this, and I literally have a map, okay? People don't want to use maps anymore because of, you know, uh, Siri and because of the GPS and all that. I get all that, but bottom line is I have visually have to have something, and this is what I teach in my program. I've got to have something I can take and lay in front of a banker, lay in front of an appraiser that is color-coded, and literally where the orange areas are the warning signs, the yellow areas are the cautions, you know, good good areas, but middle-income type and then the green areas are the ones that are go. So when somebody calls on an ad, direct mail, whatever, you're still going to be communicating with someone, and they call me and give me an address. I literally am going to be able to take right in front of them at that particular point, know what's going on in that particular school district or subdivision. If they tell me they want 200000 and their house is 2,000 square feet, and I know that houses are actually going for $75 a foot, but they're wanting $100 a foot, and they tell me that, hey, you know, it needs a lot of work, and I already know they're overpriced. So I can make decisions. It don't matter how you look at real estate. It doesn't matter if it's probate. It don't matter if you're trying to determine, am I going to take and buy a tax lien? You always are going to have an address. There'll be an address attached to that, that, that real estate, and that real estate is going to be on your map in your city, and you now know all the parameters in that particular area. And, and really, Jim, it boils down to this. i got to make the right decision. But, of course, it's going to change based on your exit strategy like we talked about a while ago. And if you don't have enough money, or I'm sorry, equity in there to take and, and, and go this route, we, we all know that the most equity you have to have uh, in any deal as far as a strategy would be wholesale. And then from there, it's the retail. And then from there, you don't have to have as much equity to do a lease option. And then from there, if you want to do an owner finance or become a bank, then you don't have to have as much equity. So. It does lots of things. It determines, you know, whether it's on MLS or not on MLS. It determines what you want to do with it uh, and determines, you know, how much profit you can make. So it all ties together, and that's what I saw several years ago. And I said, you know what, I'm going to solve this. There's so many people that are getting educated, uh, but they're not applying. Uh, My motto is education without application creates frustration. And the more frustrated you get, then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, maybe this ain't for me. Uh, you know what, maybe it don't work here. Uh, I should have never took this training. we got to keep everybody at a positive level, and we got to prove to them that it works no matter what's going on. Uh, of course, Jim, there's not going to be as many deals when you don't have as much inventory. It's all about numbers. But you can create deals, and you can take and dissect your market as if you're sifting flour and find those potential deals, but you must be trained to recognize what a good deal is and what a good deal is not. So is it really possible to know every inch of these markets and understand so you can get the kind of mastery? It really is, and this is what's crazy. Not only do we break every square mile down 
we break every subdivision down. You know, I think of Florence Park, okay? Florence Park is an area in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that is split by Highway 31, which is not a major highway. It's a road. If I have an address that comes in that is on 32nd Street, and I'm going to pursue that, okay, I know that that particular house right there on 32nd is going to, when it's all said and done, be worth $40 a foot more than anything two streets over on 30th Street. So I can't stress to all of the people that are listening right now the importance of fine-tuning every little bitty detail area. I mean, you're going to have some areas in there to where there's a lot of crime that, you know, you don't realize that uh, is not a good area, even though you think it is. You're going to have areas where you're going to have a water treatment plant, and because of the stitch and the smell, people are not going to want to live there. But you, you say, hey, it's got a great school. Yeah, but there's a water treatment plant there. You're going to have areas where there's high-line wires running through the backyard of houses. You're going to have areas that are in flood pain. You're going to have areas where they're on busy streets and, and areas that, you know, busy streets people don't want to live on. So, yeah, I mean, we have literally taken and realized there's about 25 different things going on in the market that when you master it, you know all the little details. Every little moving part helps you make the better decision where you for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, do not lose money. So vitally important to know your market, uh, know what's going on there, and yes, you can know every little bit inch if you want to work hard enough and have an easier system like we put together to do it. All right, we have uh, one more quick break, and we'll be back. i got a couple of questions to wrap up, Brad, so be with you in a moment. Welcome back once again to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, Real Life Real Estate Investing is sponsored by Cincinnati RIA, RIA of Greater Cincinnati. Uh, we have a whole program of education and networking and vendors and uh People selling houses and buying houses and lots of lots of good uh, good opportunity to understand our market. Uh, we invite people from Cincinnati to join us or go to CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, Brad, let me uh, change the subject a little bit here. What do you think are some of the the biggest mistakes you see people making as they're working in today's market? How does it differ from the well, market we Well, what's before? crazy about that is, you know, I basically wrote down seven key mistakes and literally put it in a book that describes what I decided would be probably covering all the aspects of the mistakes you're making and also, Jim, the mistakes I made on a large subdivision. And I know this sounds crazy, but the seven key things, and, you know, we could take, you know, three more radio shows to break them down, but the seven key things that I see most investors doing today wrong is they're buying number one the wrong real estate number two they're buying at the wrong time for that certain area of their market they're buying it for the wrong reason they're they're literally trying to get rich quick which you know real estate's not about getting rich quick it's about getting rich permanent they're buying it the wrong way the way they structure it they're buying it from the wrong people because the people they're trying to make offers maybe maybe they're not motivated here's the key they're buying at the wrong location and then, Jim, they're using the wrong money. And look, you say, well, how can you use wrong money? Money's money. No, it's the way you set it up. It's the funding source. It's their points. It's their interest. It's, you know, uh, what what exactly are you going to have to do? You're going to make payments every month? Or can you, like my uh, funding source I've got, pay her all lump sum at the end? So seven key mistakes I see. Wrong real estate, wrong time, wrong reason, wrong way, wrong people, wrong location, wrong money. Literally uh, think covers most everything that I see. Now, I will say this, though, based on you asking this, I think the number one thing that I'm seeing right now 
is causing people to not move forward, and this is going to sound crazy, is really not even real estate related. It's their verbiage. It's not being able to talk to people. And you understand this, Jim, every property is tied to a person. So what I am teaching through my program now is what I call victory verbiage, being able to take and bring value to the table and get people to say yes by not manipulating, uh, doing everything legal, moral, and ethical, but bringing value to the table and squashing out negativity and answering their questions before they ever ask them. So number one right now I would say would be not even real estate related. People are so scared to talk to people, Jim. We've got to get them in front of people and get them comfortable and, and get them to really come across as if they know what they're doing. So what are the, the ways you look to create deals? You mentioned that earlier where you're not finding them. How do you create a deal? I would say the number one thing that I look for in creating deals is adding square feet. Now, that's multiple ways you can add square feet. You can add square feet to an existing house, but only if the lot lines allow you to do that. Setbacks allow you, so that's one. But that can only be done, Jim, in certain markets because some markets, literally, if the price is so cheap that you can build at the same price, it's kind of a washout. Uh, the non-permits we talked about earlier where you got non-permitted areas, uh, taking your central heat and air and moving you know, if you've got a, a room that's not heated in there that appraiser won't, won't include, you could take and add an extra vent as long as your your uh, AC unit would take and allow that. Uh, going up, like we talked about, you know, if you're, if you're you're cramped in and you don't have setback, you know, you got setback issues and not enough lot space, then you literally can take and go up. Uh, this one thing that I see in St. Louis, you literally can take a basement, and if you've got enough yard space, you can, build a, you can have a, a build-out put in place for $8,000 and literally, uh, Jim, count all the square footage and all the bedroom and bath counts, even in the basement with a build-out uh, and walk-out. So these are things that I've learned after traveling and, and teaching over 16,000 investors. There's got to be ways that we can take when we don't have enough inventory to create deals. I say, Jim, number one is you got to add square feet. All right. We're just a couple minutes left. Let me, uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, what do you feel is the most overlooked aspect of real estate that's continuing to grip investors with fear and, and prevent them from moving forward with opportunities? Probably what we just mentioned, and that is dealing with people. I have sat here in class after class. I mean, I'll be in Atlanta this weekend with several investors on a bus tour, and I'm telling you, I can teach them, Jim, every avenue. I could literally take them by the hand. The bottom line is they're so scared to approach anyone. And I think, you know, if we can take and make sure they understand how to do numbers, then the key is we must put them in a position to where once they understand their market, understand numbers, get their market in place, get their money in place, get all their members in place, then it comes down to their mindset and their motivation, but the ability to be able to communicate. This probably sounds so crazy to all of our listeners, but I'm telling you, when you solve that, it builds the confidence. Because, look, we're always dealing with people. We're always asking questions, answering questions, dealing with our team members. But we have to be able to articulate what we're looking for, and we got to bring the value to the table. I still say that's number one right now that I'm seeing across the United States. People don't know how to talk to people. We've got to improve people's skills. That's an interesting point. Often I find investors are scared to ask the questions they need to ask. And, exactly. And, and they don't know how to get that information because they've got this idea, I'm not supposed to talk about money with strangers. And how, exactly. how do you solve someone's problem if you don't understand it? 
right, well, I, I think we, we've got about a minute or so left here. So do you have any, uh, I, I know you're going to be joining us again. Let me remind everybody, uh, it's clear understanding the market you want to work in and what the market segmentation, what, what that means and, and how different areas vary, which in our city, that can be block by block and, you know, exactly. sections of neighborhood within a, within a neighborhood. Uh, so we have great opportunity, uh, November 3rd to 6th at the OREA National Summit. Uh, you can learn more about that at wmkvfm.org, uh, the radio station's website. Uh, come learn about how market segmentation can help you no matter what your exit strategy. Brad, we got a quick minute. Any last comments or thoughts for us? For our listeners? Well, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, are, are new and making the decision, do I, do I get out here and make this work? And I, here's what I would tell you, you know, it's not get rich quick like we talked about. It's get rich permanent. But here's what I want to leave with, with everybody here. Those of you that are doing real estate that are sitting here and you just have not done your first deal, I always tell everybody, the longer you go without doing a deal, the closer you get to never doing one. Is it time sensitive? Yes, it is, because your mind will start playing tricks on you. So whatever you got to do to get the right education, the proper education with the people in your market, or however you're going to do it, get that education. Understand it's like going to going to school and college. Bottom line is, yes, you have to pay for education, but the return will in time and money will be unbelievable when it's all said and done. Great, Brad. Thank you for joining us today, all of our listeners. Brad's information hope you help you on your path to financial freedom. Come back again next week. Vina will be back with Real Life Real Estate Investing next Wednesday. <music>